Good morning, Soma Federal Way. Happy Mother's Day. If you're a mom or a stepmom, I hope you're honored today. And if you're not, I hope you honored your mother or the memory of your mother, uh, or even perhaps uh, texted or encouraged a mother that uh, you admire. Being a mother is not an easy assignment, certainly a blessed one. I'm always amazed thinking about Jesus on the cross. His last person he was concerned about was his mom. And he looked at John the Apostle and says, Behold your mother, implying, take care of her. It had to be so hard for her to sit and watch or stand and watch her son suffer and die. Um, I can't imagine what she went through as a mother. Um, But oftentimes being a mother, I assume, uh, goes a bit underappreciated. And that's where we find the Apostle Paul as he writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. So if you turn with me there, uh, I'd like to begin reading. Uh, Chapters 8, 9, and 10 are kind of a continuation of thought. In chapter 8, Paul is talking about his liberties as a Christian, and he explains that the limits of those liberties are uh, by brotherly love and the welfare of other Christians, that he doesn't use his liberties in a case that would cause another to stumble. In this passage, uh, in chapter, Paul explains how that plays out in his life. So read with me, please. Paul says, Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are not you my workmanship in the Lord? If to others I'm not an apostle, at least I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. This is my defense to those who would examine me. Do we not have the right to eat and drink? Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife, as do the other apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? Or is it only Barnabas and I that have no right to refrain from working for a living? Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard without eating any of its fruit? Who tends a flock without getting some of the milk? Do I say these things on human authority? Does not the law say the same? For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle the ox when it treads out the grain. Is it for oxen that God is concerned? Does he not certainly speak this for our sake? It was written for our sake, because the plowman should plow in hope, and the thresher should thresh in hope of sharing in the crop. If we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? If others share this rightful claim on you, should we not even more? Nonetheless, We have not made use of this right, for we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. Do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple, and that those who serve in the altar share in the sacrificial offerings? In the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. But I have made no use of these rights, nor am I writing these things to secure such provision, For I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. For if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting. For necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. For I do this of my own will. I have a reward, but if not of my own will, I am still entrusted with a stewardship. What then is my reward? that in my preaching I may present the gospel free of charge, so as not to make full use of my right in the gospel. So there you go. Happy Mother's Day. Uh, There is a bit of a connection. Uh, It isn't a Mother's Day passage, but 
you may, like I said, moms feel a bit like Paul felt. I think he felt a little bit discounted and underappreciated. Last year on Mother's Day, I happened to be the speaker and I mentioned what it would cost to replace a mom and it's not cheap. Mothers serve their families gladly, but uh, oftentimes maybe they're a bit underappreciated. Have you ever felt that way, moms? Have you ever felt less valued because your role, you're just a mom? You ever heard that? Just a mom? Or I, I just stay at home? Do you have a, uh, do you work? Uh, no, I'm just a mom, okay? Obviously, um, that's a problem. Also, uh, moms, if you were in the workforce and you're now not, uh, if you ever felt that because I'm not making the money, I don't have a voice in how we allocate our funds and our family, uh, I hope that's not the case, but it could be. So perhaps these are some of the feelings Paul wrestled with. As Justin has said more than once, we don't have the context of the first letter that Paul uh, sent, nor any correspondence coming back to him. But there's some few good things that we can pull out of this passage. Firstly, we know that Paul's apostleship is, has been questioned before and will be again. Um, and if his, if his apostleship is questioned, then his credibility is. And if his credibility is questioned, then so is his message. And that's what's got him bothered. Now, I believe most Christians at that time probably had not met an apostle. Many of them had, but they certainly didn't meet many of them at one time. And uh, as the church grew, more and more people had, didn't, had met an apostle. So I think in their minds, they're larger than life. Could you imagine what it would be like to sit down with an apostle and say, what was it like to walk with Jesus? What did actually happen in the Garden of Gethsemane? What was the Last Supper like? What was the miracle at Cana? What was, uh, uh, what was Jesus like when he was angry? And to hear all these stories, because they didn't have access to the Bible we have. Okay, so those uh, those times of sitting with an apostle and hearing that would have been uh, extremely valued. So Paul shows up. Now, he's not a commanding general. He's perhaps small in stature. He's not an eloquent orator, as at least compared to someone like Apollos. Um, he has an infirmity, a thorn in the flesh he describes. We don't know if that's it's some weakness, perhaps his eyes. Um, uh, and then he has the story of how he was selected as an apostle by being knocked off his horse on the way to Damascus after he, in the middle of uh, persecuting the church. And then two years in Arabia where the Spirit uh, taught him, perhaps Jesus himself. So uh, because of his, the different way he became an apostle and the way he presents, perhaps people were undervaluing him. And it looks like there was an undercurrent or behind the curtain or some gossip about who Paul was and what was he was about, his credibility. And we see that because he says in, in verse 3, this is my defense of those who examine me. So somebody is decided it's their job to examine Paul. Uh, good luck with that. <clears throat> Uh, his words demonstrate he's a bit irritated. He has an axe to grind. His defense starts out with four questions. Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not my workmanship in the Lord? Four rhetorical questions. The answer to all of them is yes. 
Now, the first 14 verses of this chapter is all about Paul defending his right to be support, he and Barnabas's right to be supported by the church. The last few verses are him explaining why he doesn't want to exercise that right. Now, I want to go through these six reasons of why he should be supported. And in the teaching video, if you want more detail of these six things, I'll provide it there, but I'm just going to speak them and go through them quickly. Number one, Paul was an apostle. He was appointed personally by Jesus on the Damascus Road. Number two, it's customary to pay workers. He uses three examples, a soldier, a vineyard, owner, and a farmer. Number three, it's according to God's law, Deuteronomy 25.4. That's the uh, don't muzzle the ox verse. Uh, number four, other leaders exercise this right. So perhaps the church was supporting Apollos and Peter, and yet Paul founded the church, and he had even more of a right to be supported, yet he didn't, he didn't want that support. Uh, number five, it's a universal pattern. Supporting the priests of Israel was something that had been done for centuries. And uh, the Levitical priests gave all their time and attention to the house of God, and the nation of Israel supported them in their ability to do that. So it was a universal pattern. And lastly, in verse 14, Paul points out, the Lord himself said so. Said it was right for, uh, it says, in the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living from the gospel. Now, we don't know where Jesus said that. It's, he's not quoting a verse. He's saying, though, that Jesus said it. Now, of those six reasons for support of Barnabas and Paul, five of those reasons are valid today for us supporting the people that are laboring in the church. The first one isn't valid because we don't have... A, apostles appointed by Christ. There's still such a thing as an apostle. They're just not the big A apostles like he, Paul was. Um, <clears throat> now, while there were solid gospel teachers receiving support, there are also false teachers, just like there are today. So Paul's having to kind of navigate through that too, of people who are profiting from uh, brokering God and uh, just for money. Um, and he wasn't using this argument as a backhanded way to get paid. When he uses the term boasting, he's actually talking, uh, he's, he's, he's saying rejoicing. Some people are, are making an assessment of Paul, and they've decided that since he's not paid, he is not worthy. He's not an apostle. His, his, his message is in question because... He's not being paid. Another significant passage for pastoral support is 1 Timothy 5.17. It says, Let the elders who rule be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, You shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the labor deserves his wages. So again, a reference to Old Testament. So those two passages, and there's others, that uh, really provide a, a robust defense of supporting people in ministry. And again, they apply today. And they don't just apply to preaching and teaching pastors. They apply to workers, to missionaries, to anyone doing God's work. 
we don't have a problem in our culture today of paying people for what we want, right? I mean, if you're tired of cooking or cleaning, you go out to dinner. Somebody else does the cooking and washing of the dishes. If you can afford it, you do it. Uh, I used to have four kids that I could get to go weed my flower beds, and I haven't got that anymore. I'm more than happy to spend a little coin to get that done. Something that I want done, uh, I'm willing to pay for it. Same with things we need. My truck was broken. I need transportation. The starter was out. I'm willing to pay for that. I need transportation. So in our culture, if, if we can afford it, if it's something we want or something we need, easily justified. Now, the question is, do we have that same view about God, his kingdom, and the workers that support pushing the kingdom forward? At SOMA, we don't pay every volunteer, but when a church is asking support from more than is reasonable from a volunteer, it's, it's good and right to provide support for them. And we call that a stipend. Um, in this passage, and this is something I've not seen before, but Paul brings up marriage for the purpose, I believe, to say uh, that if he was married, both he and his wife have the right to support. Even though <clears throat> I think Paul was a widower, I think uh, most Pharisees had to be married to be a Pharisee, and so perhaps Paul's wife died. Um, but he opens up the idea that we should support both a man and a wife in ministry. Now, obviously, it's fine if a pastor's uh, spouse wants to, uh, wife wants to go to work, okay? In fact, now in our culture, we almost expect it. In the old days, it used to be um, uh, we would pay a pastor and then we'd expect his wife to do all the things that pastor's wives do and not pay them. So that wasn't right. Um, and now uh, I think we have more of the belief that if a woman can work, she should go work. And I think Paul's making the case that we should be willing to support both a husband and wife in ministry. And I've never seen that before. Obviously, the, the reasons are that a husband and wife together are much more fruitful than, um, than just one or the other. So, for example, I was talking to some retired guys uh, who told me that when they, I did it wrong, that when they retired, they sent their wives to work. One is a flight attendant. And I said, well, they probably went to work because they couldn't stand being around you. But um, I did tell them, if I'd have done that, whatever I've accomplished in ministry would have been certainly much less without my partner, Karen, laboring with me, doing everything that I'm doing. Um, now, in verses 15 through 18, Paul explains why he doesn't take advantage of this right. And he didn't want accepting support to hinder the fruit of the gospel. He didn't want to conflate him being supported and then him preaching. He wanted those to be separate. He was supported by outside churches uh, from time to time. But he didn't want the people in Corinth to think that he was doing what he was doing for the sake of money. So here's some practical thoughts that I think we can take away from this passage. Number one, it's 100% right for those who labor in the gospel to be supported. And then from other scriptures, we can see that it's 100% right to support them generously. Two, a person who is not supported is not less value than one who is. Just like the mother who 
who's not the breadwinner. Her value and role in the family is not anything less than, than a husband who's making money. MC leaders are a great example. Uh, they're really pastors in a sense. They're sacrificing, organizing, praying for, laboring for, hosting, teaching people with no remuneration. And in fact, our MC leaders are probably the most faithful givers in our church. <clears throat> Number three, our motives should be as Paul's were. So Paul worked for God, not for men. And he would gladly take spiritual fruit uh, in the lives of others rather than financial support. He clearly says that. And fourth, he talks about stewarding the gospel. So all of us, we've been privileged with the gospel. We have gospel privilege. The question is, what are we going to do with that privilege? It's a privilege, in my view, to support the work of the church. It's a privilege. And it's a privilege to join those in the work. Okay, so we don't, we don't write checks to support our leaders and pastors and, and workers so we don't have to do the work. We support them to equip us in the work of the ministry. We don't pay them to do the Bible reading so we don't have to, so we can watch TV. We don't pay them to pray so we don't have to, so we can play video games. We buy their time, right? We're, we're, we're replacing their time with income so they can help us grow in Christ and help others grow in Christ. Okay? So an old time church, um, the mantra was, Lord, you keep him humble and we'll keep him poor. Today we've got uh, lavish prosperity preachers flying their own jets, driving Maseratis, uh, kind of ruining the whole view of supporting people, in my view, um, kind of ruining it for others. Okay, so we shouldn't take our image from those guys and we shouldn't have the image of keeping our pastors poor. But what, we, what, what do we do? What do we do in Soma Federal Way? Well, the first thing I want you to know is that when we have a need, we don't post the need for an amount of money and say, who will do this job for that amount of money? What we've always done is look to see who's responding to the call of God without being paid, and then come behind them and support them for more and more of their time, okay? Um, and I want to give you a quick Soma history lesson that I think you should know, because that's exactly how God is, has blessed us. So in the beginning, when Bill Clem had the vision from Chicago to plant 20 churches in the Northwest, he did not uh, have provision. He didn't have a plan of how God was going to take care of him. But out of obedience, he stepped out. And then he called Jeff Vanderstelt. And I remember the quote that he told Jeff Vanderstelt. He says, I don't have a job. I don't have money for you. But I promise I won't eat better than you do. So both of them came without any parachute of how they're going to be cared for. As did Chris and Stephanie Thomas. Chris and Stephanie came from a well-to-do church in Virginia. A great position. And they came here to engage SOMA to learn how we do what we do, and then perhaps go plant a church. They ended up staying. They planted themselves in Northeast Tacoma at North Shore Apartments and began loving on the people of those apartments. It wasn't about money. Don and Molly, they retired from pastoring, came to Federway, lived with the Hawkins. When they first got here, they opened up their house, and that's where we met as a church for many months. They began serving from the first day they were here. It wasn't about money. Same with Trish. 
Trish Hawking, she was serving our children before we were supporting her. Years ago, <clears throat> Justin Kurovakal um, was working at Chihuly Glass. He was an elder at Soma, and it was deemed that his skill set would benefit Soma greatly, and he was asked to quit his job and come to work for Soma, which he did. After a few years, it was uh, determined that his skill set isn't what we needed at the time, and he, his job ended. Now, I'm always amazed, and I like to brag on Justin and Kate, because for somebody to say, here, we want you, and then now we don't, and then they hung with God and the people of Soma unselfishly, it's amazing to me. Um, and no bitterness, because for them, it wasn't about the money. Now, around that time, the Kurovakals and Karen and I were the eldering couples here at Soma, and we realized, Justin and I, that with our jobs, we had probably reached the max of our ability to shepherd people. And we wanted our church to grow and needed more, so we began to pray for help. About that time, Justin and Darianne Westcott left positions in Federal Way, quit their job, moved to Tacoma to be part of the residencies there and learn about Soma, and they also received no pay. They were on their own to raise their own support and, and work, and they did that. We met months later, year, maybe a year or two later, <clears throat> and began praying about Justin coming to Federal Way. Um, and they moved here without any guarantee of a position or a salary. We started supporting them with $1,000 a month. Again, they both got outside jobs to support themselves. Uh, over time, we were able to raise Justin's salary to $2,000 a month, $3,000 a month, $4,000 a month. And we've got him up uh, right about now just under the poverty level, just under getting out of the poverty level. Now, it's funny, paying pastors wasn't always that way. In the 1890s, past, uh, clergy was paid about three times as much as a local school teacher. And that's probably because school teachers were undervalued. Uh, then in 1970, the lines crossed where pastors and teachers made about the same. Now, <clears throat> in our area, uh, pastors make about half of what uh, teachers make. And I don't begrudge what teachers make. I'm not saying that <clears throat> they deserve every nickel. But you need to know that uh, that's one of the, the um, numbers that we'd like to get our, our paid staff to, especially our pastors. Um, now, in my opinion, that history is, is remarkable, and I wanted you to know how faithful God had been and how faithful the people had been to hear from God and do what they did without any guarantee of being cared for. Our hope this year is to add to our staff. I've always said uh, a year, uh, a dollar's worth of ministry costs a dollar. Uh, if five, we have about 43 giving units in our church, 23 are active givers, so the rest aren't. If five of those who aren't began tithing on their income, we could not only add another person, but we could raise the salaries of our pastors and workers. Um, so I tell you all that so you know the history and the character of your leaders. Uh, the Westcott's, Thomas's, Molly and Trish are who we support, and some missionaries like Greg and Heidi. Um, and I can tell you that none of them are lovers of money. Uh, they're very hard workers. None of them have ever hinted that be, they're more interested in money than the fruit of the gospel they're trying to produce. 
all of these people would rather see the fruit of the gospel in our lives and the lives of our children than to receive an, another nickel. But I've said it before now, and now is a good as time as any to say it again, that I'd like to invite you to join me in the conviction that we want to be a generous church for those who labor for us. Let's be a church that has, takes such good care of people that everybody wants to come and be a part of it and join us. Uh, we do that because they labor and they pray for us and they pursue us in love. And we should treat them like those who provide our income outside of the church, our employers. We want to be treated well. We want to be given favor. We want to we, we want our employers to be generous to us. Um, I love hearing uh, Randy, Wyatt, and Kobe uh, about doxipating. They really strive to take good care of their workers as Christian employers. Um, and I think that that's exactly what we should do with our workers and our pastors. For the most part, and I want you to know that Soma, you're a generous church. We have money in the bank. Okay, uh, you've provided for us well, and for those of you faithfully giving, I want to tell you, well done. Uh, if you're new, since COVID started, you probably haven't heard anything about money. You've never seen an offering plate. You don't even know where to give. And so if you want to start giving, uh, that's great. I'd welcome you to. Uh, there'll be some kind of a link online for you to see this, or you can ask somebody how to do it online. Um but we're not, for those of you who have been part of our church for a long time, the, the 20 plus families who aren't giving, we're not going to guilt you. We're not going to beg you. Uh, it's between you and the Lord. <clears throat> but I will say, if you're not setting aside the first fruits for the Lord, you're missing out on a blessing and you're spiritually poor. So <clears throat> for those of you who are not in the faith, the first step for you is to not write a check to the church. The first step for you is to consider the claims of Christ. Who is Jesus and what has he done? That sin has separated you from God. And the only way back is through the rescue of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave his life for us, who shed his blood for us, to put your faith in that work and surrender your life to him. And when you do that, the scriptures promise in Ephesians chapter 1 that he'll seal you with the Holy Spirit and lead you in the paths of righteousness things such as this. For those of you who have put your faith in Christ and not supported the ministry, I want to encourage you to start. And for those of you who are giving faithfully, I want you to hear well done and apply yourself to producing spiritual fruit in others. Now, I've been talking a lot about money, but there's one other thing I want you to know. Your encouragement to our spiritual leaders and workers is really important. And here's why. When we go and do a job, any other job, we can measure how well we're doing. If you're selling cars, you can measure how many cars you sold. If you're building airplanes, all the metrics are there. In spiritual work, it's hard to measure success. And so for you to speak back to the laborers and workers and pastors, to Justin and Trish and Molly and, and, uh, and others, to speak Words of encouragement to them means everything. And I really want to encourage you to be mindful and diligent to do that. Okay, it's, it's, it's critical. So that's our little talk on 1 Corinthians 9. Uh, talking about money is always a little bit difficult, but I want you to know I love you and let's pray.
Father, thank you for the sacrifice that you made to reach us. And thank you for those who believed in you and made sacrifices for us. That they Thank you for the people who said yes to you before there was anything in it for them. And Father, I pray we would be good stewards now of what you've entrusted to us with the gospel. With our time, our talent, our treasures, our knowledge, the gifts and uh, abilities you've given us, let us steward that well. And then Lord, help us to be generous and care for those who labor for us, uh, who labor for our spiritual growth in the gospel. We love you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.